0: Welcome to USURF Spotlight, a new series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we discuss major topics and issues in the news and explore how those issues are impacting religious freedom around the globe. Here is USURF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, leading this week's discussion.
1: Welcome to USURF Spotlight. Today we're going to talk about the various mechanisms within the UN human rights system that are used to promote freedom of religion or belief. In the legislation that created our commission in 1998, international human rights standards such as the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights are cited as the benchmarks which we should be using to monitor religious freedom around the world. But beyond the standards to monitor, the UN system has several structures and entities that were created to address human rights concerns globally, many of which are relevant to the universal right to freedom of religion or belief. Although some of these bodies have limitations, they provide opportunities for advocacy by and collaboration among governments and non-governmental organizations working to promote and protect religious freedom internationally. Today we have U.S.E.R.F. supervisory policy analyst and international legal specialist Kirsten Lavery to go deeper on this topic. Welcome, uh, Kirsten.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Earlier this month, uh, we released a fact sheet which you authored on this very issue. Why don't we start by having you first uh, tell us about what some of the human rights mechanisms are and the structures that are related to international religious freedom?
0: Sure, Uh, thank you. So uh, as described in the fact sheet, there are really two types of UN human rights mechanisms. The first are those that are the charter-based mechanisms, uh, meaning that they're mandated through the resolutions of the UN principal organs. Um, And so the main one is the Human Rights Council, which is an intergovernmental body that consists of 47 uh, UN member states. uh, And this was established in 2006 by the, the General Assembly to replace the UN Human Rights Commission. And so the mandate of the Human Rights Council is to promote uh, universal respect for human rights and to address and make recommendations for when there are situations where uh, rights are being violated. And so in doing this, they use um, the international standards, which you mentioned. Uh, the 47 seats are allotted among the UN's five regional uh, groupings and, and the members are elected by a secret ballot Uh, of of the General Assembly um, for three years' terms, And so during this election process, the human rights uh, records of the states that are running uh, are supposed to be considered. Uh, Another mechanism that falls under the Human Rights uh, Council is the Universal uh, Periodic Review or the UPR. Um, This is a state-driven process that reviews the human rights situation, um, including the freedom of religion uh, or belief of all UN uh, member states. Uh, we also have the different special procedure mandate holders, which are independent experts that focus on specific thematic or country issues related to human rights. And so there's a UN special rapporteur that focuses on freedom of religion or belief, and then several other, others that touch on relevant topics, um, such as the freedom of expression, minority issues, or cultural rights. Um, there's also a mechanism to file complaints to bring them to the attention of the Human Rights Council, um, and the Human Rights Council can also establish fact-finding missions or independent investigations of uh, serious international uh, violations of international humanitarian law or uh, human rights. The second bucket of uh, human rights mechanisms are those that are treaty-based, um, and so there's 10 that monitor the core human rights treaties. Um, An important one is the Human Rights Committee, uh, which monitors the international covenant on civil and political rights.
1: Thanks, Kirsten. You you made reference to the uh, Human Rights Council's Universal Periodic Review Process, or UPR as it's called. Uh, A UPR session actually started this week uh, where the human rights records of about 14 countries are being reviewed, including actually the United States this time around. Um, Can you explain how the UPR process can be used to actually advance religious freedom, and what are some of the limitations of this process?
0: Sure. Um, So there's three UPR sessions uh, held each year, and as you said, one session is currently underway. Um, So each UN member state will have their record reviewed every four years, so with 48 UN um, states reviewed each year. Um, and so during this process, um, an assessment of the uh, human rights record of the state will be conducted through a dialogue between the country under review and the other UN uh, member states. And so while it's led by the Human Rights Council members, other states also participate. Um, they'll consider a range of documents and, and information and then produce what's called an outcomes report that has different recommendations. Um, and so Often the freedom of religion or belief record is considered during this process and the state will receive uh, recommendations on how to improve the situation. Uh, An example that we actually mentioned uh, in our 2020 annual report is that Iran was reviewed uh, last November and received a, a number of recommendations related to ending discrimination and persecution of religious minorities. And so the UPR process can really be an important opportunity uh, to get commitments from governments and NGOs um, and human rights groups will then use that, um, those promises in their own advocacy. Uh, At the same time, the UPR process has received criticism uh, for not paying enough attention to the freedom of religion or belief, uh, and also failing to provide really consistent, specific and actionable recommendations. Um, And another criticism it receives is that there's no um, effective mechanism for following up on the recommendations. Uh, Part of the problem is that some countries are really hesitant to call out their allies or they might wanna be soft during this process on others, uh, hoping that this will avoid um, them themselves receiving harsh criticism. So it's important to keep in mind that ultimately this is a really a state-driven process. Um, So it's important for states that are champions of human rights and particularly religious freedom to engage and call out religious freedom violations during the UPR process um, and to continue to um, put pressure on states to implement their recommendations.
1: You know, I would just add there, I think, you know, we've seen a number of, uh, you know, interventions by states on on countries that have uh, committed egregious violations. And so even if the country doesn't follow through on implementation, you know, they go on record saying, hey, we're going to Implement, you know, this this set of recommendations. So there is a mechanism there. It would seem to uh, To hold them accountable and to bring it back up because as you said this comes up every four years So if a government says it's going to implement something to improve a uh, religious freedom situation Then they can this can come back up and even in between there. So uh, very helpful. Thanks. You 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 uh, Also mentioned earlier that the Human Rights Council is an intergovernmental organization that's only really as good as its 47 member states. And some have questioned actually the credibility of this institution, given that egregious human rights violators like China are on the council. So let me ask you, how how have China and others actually manipulated this system? And is there anything that can be done about it?
0: Yeah, so it's really a a concern that the Chinese government has really attempted to exploit its diplomatic and economic power to undermine the integrity of the international human rights um, system. And so this has been done through pushing resolutions and delivering speeches um, that argue that economic progress should take precedence over a respect for individual rights. Um, The Chinese government has also... Reportedly used its leverage to kind of um, dissuade other governments from criticizing uh, China's record uh, before the UN human rights uh, mechanisms. So this year, some of the most egregious uh, violators of religious freedom, including China and also Russia, um, Saudi Arabia, Cuba, uh, and Pakistan, all ran for seats of the Human Rights Council. Uh, China did win their seat, uh, but the number of votes they received went down from 180 in 2016 um, to only 139 this year. Um, Russia, Cuba, and Pakistan were also successful, but Saudi Arabia did not win uh, its uh, campaign uh, to win a seat, and it lost, instead, um, that Asia group seat to Nepal. Um, So the critics of the Human Rights Council often point to this fact that human rights abusers are allowed to serve as members. And I mentioned that the human rights records of candidates is really supposed to be a central part of the election process, but what ends up happening is that these elections are generally not competitive. Um, There are backroom deals happening um, where regional groups broker who will run and be the sole candidate and and therefore get the seat. Um, So it's really important to have these champions, as you said, it's only as good as its members, human rights canceled, so it's important to have champions of human rights and religious freedom um, on the council, um, and it's, it's really the only way to counteract um, these kind of efforts from governments like China, and so it's important for countries like the U.S. Um, to work to call out the human rights violators that are running uh, for seats and to try to recruit other governments that um, do respect human rights to run for membership as well.
1: And you mentioned there that the U.S. should, you know, be one of those countries that calls out, you know, governments that want to run and have a, a poor record. Uh, but let me ask you that—that's a good lead into the next question because some have argued that the U.S. that U.S. engagement in the Human Rights Council itself is important and productive, while others advocate uh, for the United States to disengage and withdraw from it for a host of reasons. And we know that the U.S. is is not a member of the UN Human Rights Council right now. Um, but let me ask you, what, is, what has been the U.S. government's relationship with the Human Rights Council since it was formed in 2006 to replace uh, the previous Human Rights Commission? And how can uh, we more effectively use this system to promote uh, religious freedom?
0: Sure. So, um, U.S. engagement with the Human Rights Council has really varied over time. Uh, the The Bush administration voted against the resolution that established the Council and and didn't seek to join it, um, out of a concern that there wasn't enough reform um, to address the problems of the predecessor the Human Rights Commission. Uh, Under the Obama administration, the U.S. joined the Council thinking it was better to work from within to improve the body, and as you mentioned, then the Trump administration withdrew in 2018, uh, noting the need for reform, so the U.S. is currently not a member. Um, And so although it has an imperfect record, the Human Rights Council is the main intergovernmental institution that promotes uh, human rights. And for that reason, it's important. Um, And so when the US and other champions of uh, human rights are able to exert active leadership at the UN, these mechanisms can really be used as important forces for promoting uh, religious uh, freedom. And so if the US, when Uh, We've been um, a member or engaged in it. We're able to advocate for our human rights priorities like religious freedom and and build coalitions with like-minded governments um, to better promote rights and really ensure that there's not this leadership gap which currently is being filled um, by countries like China and Russia that are trying to co-opt the system as we discussed. Uh, and so even in these times when the U.S. is not a member, there's still important ways uh, for the U.S. to engage with the Human Rights Council. Uh, one way I've mentioned is ensuring that the religious freedom records of candidates um, that are running for a seat are really a, a pivotal consideration during the election process. Um, the U.S. can also actively participate in the Human Rights Council sessions and raise religious freedom concerns, host side events on Um, important issues and country situations. And the U.S. can also participate in uh, the UPR, even not as a member, and draw attention to religious freedom violations and provide these actionable recommendations that really can help to improve um, conditions.
1: You referenced, uh, you know, the uh, human rights system in general, and we've talked a lot about the Human Rights Council, but also that Other entities have uh, positively contributed to the promotion and protection of religious freedom. Can you give me a few concrete examples uh, how some of these mechanisms have been used uh, to advance uh, freedom of religion or belief and and have been successful in creating awareness on the one hand about the abuses committed by some states and how this awareness has resulted uh, in some progress on the ground in various countries?
0: Sure. Um, so one example um, is the Human Rights Council Resolution 1618, uh, which was adopted by Consensus in uh, 2011. It has a bit of a long name, Combating uh, Intolerance, Negative Stereotyping, Stigmatization, Discrimination, Incitement to Violence, and Violence Against Person Based on Religion or Belief. And so it really commits space uh, to addressing religious intolerance through promotion of the interrelated rights of religion, expression, and non-discrimination. It's important, um, partly because it replaced the flawed um, Defamations of Religions resolutions, which had sought to justify uh, laws restricting speech. Um, another positive example is the work of the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom or, of Religion or Beliefs. Um, the current mandate holder is Professor Ahmed Chaid, and he's really done great work including his recent reports on topics including gender equality, anti-Semitism, and restrictions on expression and how they can impact um, the freedom of religion. Uh, A really concrete example of his work is that um, he visited Uzbekistan in late 2016 after which the parliament um, adopted a roadmap to address religious freedom concerns. And so this roadmap is still being implemented, but it has resulted in tangible um, improvements in religious freedom conditions uh, in the country. Another example is that there were two investigative um, bodies established by the Human Rights Rights Council to um, collect and preserve information and evidence regarding alleged international crimes committed against the Rohingya. Uh, And so the information that these two mechanisms have gathered um, really laid the foundation for the ongoing legal cases and and the prosecutions um, related to the situation, including the pending lawsuit against the Burmese government uh, in the International Court of Justice. Um, So I would just point to those three as some really concrete examples.
1: Great, thank you. And I, I would just echo uh, the work of the Special Rapporteur. One element that uh, I, I've thought has been helpful over the recent years is the joint statements that have been made by the mandate holders, including uh, the one on freedom of religion belief, Ahmed Shaheed, with others on say freedom of expression or arbitrary detention and so on, where there is overlapping uh, issues at play. Um, I think that that creates even more strength in those statements when they come together uh, to get to galvanize and get more attention on these issues. Unfortunately, we we'll have to leave it uh, right here. Uh, I want to thank uh, USURF International Legal Specialist and our USURF uh, Supervisory uh, analyst Kirsten Lavery for her insights today. And we've only had to scratch the surface, but you can find her report on these UN human rights mechanisms as they relate to international religious freedom on our website at www.usurf.gov. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on USURF Spotlight.